0: Hey, my name is Janelle Thiessen and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the first episode of the Human Being Project by The Change Evolutionist. In this podcast, I join my dad, Ron Thiessen, to explore the difference between being and doing.
1: In a world of constant distractions, sky-high expectations, and the relentless pursuit of more, we examine what would happen if we made space for more being and less doing. So welcome to this podcast where we're talking about what it means to be a human being as opposed to human doing. And uh, with me is my daughter Janelle, and we're going to be having a discussion about this. And hopefully it'll spur some uh, interesting ideas and thoughts and expressions uh, and a good conversation that we can have not only between the two of us, but also with you engaged as well. Janelle, I'm, you know that I've been through this uh, journey over the last little while. Where I've really had a a much greater understanding of the difference between human being and human doing. And in that discussion, we've talked about productivity and what that means and uh, all kinds of uh, things that have come to the forefront as a result of that. And this uh, journey for me has been uh, primarily in intensity in the last year or so. Uh, It's been going on for a little while, but in the last year or so, I've really uh, come to a different place of understanding about uh, what it means to be productive and what that means for me in terms of the things that I do or don't do. You and I, when we we start talking about this, we were coming at it from a pretty different, uh, two opposite kinds of ends of the spectrum. I remember talking to you early on about how important I thought uh, personal mission was and being very focused on your purpose. And you were telling me, can't purpose just be being? Uh, does it have to be doing something? And uh, wow, that was, that was eye-opening information for me. And uh, there's a lot for me to, to talk about and to unpack that's happened in the last year. But maybe you could just talk about where you see this coming from and what that means to you to be a human being instead of a human doing.
0: Sure. Well, as you know from our numerous discussions, <laughs> human beings, being for me is far more important. I put more emphasis on that in my life than doing. However, I have learned from you that there is an importance in the balance of both because you can't really have the being without doing and you can't really have the doing without being. So for me, like you said, we were at opposite ends of the spectrum. For me, it was all about being. And even that concept was pretty new to me because I was only discovering present moment awareness and living in the moment through authors like Eckhart Tolle and Michael Singer. And so that concept of being was just first penetrating my brain Mm. at the time. I feel like when I heard the concept of being or living in the moment or being present, it gave me a way of understanding purpose without it having to be a defined, this is what I do and therefore I have purpose. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the concept of having personal mission or some sort of structure that then defined my purpose was hard. It was hard for me to accept because like I think many people, I just didn't feel like I had purpose. I certainly, my life, my career, my, my life with my family, it didn't seem to reflect a specific purpose. So yeah. that was when I started exploring being versus doing myself.
1: It's such a powerful concept when we start thinking about it in that way, because I'm sure part of the way that I think about being doing comes from my, my upbringing and the generation that I grew up in. You were definitely measured by the things that you could accomplish or the stamina that you had, keep going to be determined and consistent and all those things that we considered very important in our table of values. And Mm -hmm. we didn't explore emotion. We didn't explore the depths of human thinking and what's coming, what's issuing from the heart. That really wasn't an important topic for us. We were about educating ourselves and working hard and trying to be the person that you can count on, be really reliable. Uh, Those four words actually that came out in my understanding when I started really investigating for myself, what does productive mean to me? Because I knew that in my thinking, productive was a very important word, and it was something that I needed to be at all times, productive. Those four words that you and I have talked about, reliable, consistent, disciplined, and accountable, these are really important words in terms of being productive in my thinking as I started thinking about being productive. And in that whole thinking process, the question started coming up. But when do you ever have time to just be? Even in my teaching, I've talked about, well, you don't want to be a human doing, you want to be a human being. But inherent in that was, if you're a human being, you will be being productive. <laughs> <laughs> well, so it's a, it, was a, yeah. it was really a catch-22. And for me then to start realizing what the difference would be between doing, and there is value in doing for sure, But Mm -hmm. what's the difference between doing and being? And if doing flows out of being, that's powerful. But if doing is there instead of being, it's powerless. It's a really interesting dynamic for me to look at from my perspective of the way I've been raised and the way I've been trained and the things that I was supposedly supposed to be good at and uh, asking myself how many of those things are flowing out of who I am as a human being and how many of those things am I doing because I need to be doing.
0: Right. And I think it's important to ask the question as well. When you find yourself caught in a trap of doing without being is what are you doing it for? Who are you doing it for? What are you proving and to whom? Because Mm. the only person that cares what you do or how you perform or what you achieve It's you. It's you that you're proving all of that to. Mm -hmm. Nobody else is with you twenty four seven all the time in your head, in your body, feeling your feelings and thinking your thoughts. Only you are. So what are you doing it for, right? And that's even something you've had to ask yourself. There was a lot of doing. Yeah. A lot of doing. And what were you doing all of those things for? Were they as beneficial towards your personal mission as you thought they were, or were they make work projects?
1: Yeah. And had to come to the conclusion that many of them were make work projects. It's things I needed to do to appear to be busy, i.e. productive. Right. Right. So that's another thing that, you know, in, in my exploration of that whole concept of what does it mean to me to be productive, it definitely was about creating something out here, something that could be seen, not necessarily seen only by others, but be seen by me too. I can see I'm making progress. I'm making progress. Right. I'm being productive. Measurable. Yes. yes. And whereas when you're dealing with the issues of the heart, how do you measure how productive you're being spiritually? How do you, you measure can't. how productive you're being in terms of your mindfulness or your connection with the spirit or those things are difficult to measure? How do you measure whether you have had a productive time in meditation.
0: Right. And you're not supposed to measure it. That is my firm belief. It goes against our human nature because we're like, no, I need proof and I need to measure and I need to know I'm making forward motion and progress. Part of our human experience is to learn to let go of all of that framework that binds us.
1: When I think about it that way, this is the pull of religion. Because religion gives us frameworks of measurable things that we're supposed to do. These things are right. These things are wrong. And if you want to be a good person, you need to be doing these things and doing those things and not doing these other things. Mm -hmm. So when we have those measures, that's human nature because it makes us feel like we are moving forward. But if we have measures, then we can judge ourselves and we can judge others as to whether we are actually meeting the standard or not. Mm
0: -mm. And
1: in my growing understanding of spirituality, which is completely different from religion for me, the energy and the power of the spiritual realm is completely different from the energy that we experience in this three-dimensional world that we live in. That energy is primarily negative and spiritual energy is positive. It moves faster and it's full of abundance and creativity. If I am effective in doing the only thing that I am being able to do is to harness the spiritual energy that is abundance and bring it into my, my real world existence. And, but uh, how do you
0: do that? How do you harness that?
1: There's only three ways that I know of. There may be more, but three ways that I know of and not in any specific order, but one of them is prayer. So prayer is like an acknowledgement that this is bigger than me. I need some assistance. I need some help here in my natural thinking. I don't really know how to access that spiritual energy, that higher, faster energy. I don't know that naturally. So I need help to understand that. And for me, that's what prayer is. It's ask, how do I access this energy that I need right now in this situation that I'm facing in order to unleash it? How do I do that? So prayer would be one way. Meditation is another way. And meditation for me is not emptying your mind. It's not just getting silent and not doing anything with your mind. Meditation is a bit of a deeper process for me than just thinking about something. But it follows kind of the same line because when I want to understand something I've been thinking about or a concept that's been introduced to me or something that somebody said to me that really triggered me, and I want to understand more clearly why I feel like I do about this particular thing meditation is a really good way for me to explore that because it's like I take a thought that I have or a reaction that I have or something that I want to investigate. It's like a globe. And I take it internally into my heart space rather than my head space. And I start turning it around and looking at it from all different kinds of points of view. And oftentimes that brings such interesting clarity when you can see things from another perspective than what you would normally think your first kind of gut level response. And by turning it around and examining it from all angles, that meditation is so valuable because it brings a different level of awareness. And then the third way that I know of doing that is mindfulness. And mindfulness simply means living in and being aware of this present moment and not having all of the distractions that normally are part of our daily lives, being able to disconnect from all the distractions around us and just tune into our heart space to figure out what's going on there. What am I feeling? What am I thinking? Meditation is me kind of looking at the thought. Mindfulness is me just being aware. I'm here. I'm alive. Things are happening. I have my breath. You know, There are many things that I can be grateful for in my life. And just being aware of everything that is involved in this present moment of my existence.
0: It's interesting because I know there's a quote, I don't know if it's attributed to a certain person, but the quote is, prayer is when you talk to God and meditation is when you listen. I would say that prayer for me is not part of my life really, because I don't even see a spiritual connection as a relationship between me and say God in air quotes. But I do feel that a spiritual connection is in every cell of my body. It's in every part of my energetic field. Like I am connected to something bigger. What I Mm -hmm. choose to call it is irrelevant. What anyone chooses to call it is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. It's only relevant whether or not they feel that connection to something bigger than themselves, I think. Right. But the idea that meditation is listening, to me, that's the power of meditation because I think the gurus say you should observe your thoughts in meditation. It's a practice of observing your thoughts. And I think what you're saying and what I'm saying in a different way is that it's more than observing your thoughts. It's opening yourself to communication from the essence of you, which Mm. in your opinion is God, in my opinion, is my spiritual self, my higher self, or Mm. a higher power. But yeah, that meditative space is creating enough silence and space that you're able to even hear. In today's society, there's just so much going on. There are just devices always. There's so much that grabs our attention and our attention spans are so short. Everything is just go, 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 go overstimulation to the max. Yeah. That's why I think meditation has become this big trend because we have to be able to decompress from all of that at some point yeah. and listen to whatever it is that guides us. So for me, that would be meditation and mindfulness. I love that. Like, yeah, present moment awareness. Mm. It doesn't have to be anything intense. It can even just be I'm in the line at the grocery store and I'm just observing the cashier and her interaction with the person in front of me or his interaction with the person in front, whatever. I can just be living within that moment without worrying about, oh, I still have to go to six different stores. I have to pay that bill. I have to right? Just being sunk right into that moment, whether it's good or or whether it's bad.
1: Or if you're in that situation and you find your impatience building
0: to Mm. even
1: step back and say, why am I being impatient about this? What is it that's so important that I have to get to? Or why is this bothering me? Then letting it consume you, stepping back and saying, whoa, wait a second, why am I having this kind of reaction to something that's going to take a few minutes The thing that gets in the way of your spirituality is your ego, right? And ego wants to dominate. It wants to control everything. And Mm -hmm. and when that happens and you're in a situation where you're not in control, ego gets impatient and gets worked up. And so it's very interesting to observe that. My area of greatest weakness would be in driving. When I moved to Quebec, it was a completely different kind of driving situation than what I had experienced living in Winnipeg. And I was getting so impatient on the road and thinking that everybody except me was an idiot. One day I realized that if I think that everybody's an idiot except me, I think the problem's with me. I don't think yeah. the problem with other people. And so I had to get to that place. So what is this about then? And yeah. even though still today I'm the person, I like the open road in front of me. I don't like mm-hmm. to be in traffic. I like to be ahead of people. I like to be oh going my gosh, the yes. fastest I get that from you. Yeah. <laughs> But the control of my impatience is something that I work on for sure when I'm driving, but it's really important to ask yourself, why are you so impatient and why would you think that everybody else should move aside for you, right? That's a very, that's a mindful thought to pursue because that can uncover all kinds of reasons why you might be feeling or thinking that.
0: I'd like to bring it back to the productivity thing for a minute. Sure. Because I know that you tend to have like, dare I say, workaholic tendencies. There's a lot of work that happens in your life. And I don't want to put you in a box like that if you don't feel that it's appropriate. But I would just say from an outside observer that you definitely lean towards working more than relaxing. Mm. And for me, productivity has always been very important in a different way. Like, not that I need to be working all the time, but that I need to have a checklist. Like I need to have a really clear, all right this is what I'm doing today. And Mm -hmm. each thing that I get done, I need to check off. And that feeling of accomplishing is very Mm -hmm. satisfying to me. And I find that a threat to mindfulness for me is when things get in the way of me completing my task list. Like when I have a lot of things I want to get done that day, if it's all work related or if it's work and personal and there's traffic or like this morning I had to go to the post office. I know that sounds like I live in the 1990s, but I had to go to the post office and there was an eternal line. It takes enormous patience, especially when you know, okay, I've got a meeting in half an hour, right? Like there's pressure and you feel it. So I find that threat to my productivity is a real detriment to my ability to be mindful. It's a work in progress, but Mm. I was able to be mindful this morning. So there's, there's hope. Wow. Good for you. But I think, I do think that that's a struggle that it's very real for people. When there's so much to do and there are infringements on your time and then unexpected events. So what would you suggest to people in those moments where you just feel instant heat? Like you're just like, oh, yeah?
1: Well, I'm curious to hear what did you do in the post office? How did you harness yourself back to a mindful place and being in the moment?
0: Well, first, let me say the ironic part is I had already, I was the first one into the post office this morning. And okay. I had immediately dealt with the mailing of parcels. My husband has like a, a product based business, so I was sending parcels. But I had one that I wanted to ask a few questions about. I wasn't going to send it. I was just looking for some information on shipping costs. So there was one gentleman behind me, and I said, "You know what? I've paid for the ones I was shipping. I said I'll wait to do this package pricing thing until he's had a chance to go through." So off he goes in front of me. I turn around to go back to the back desk and write something down a piece of paper. And I'm not kidding. In about 30 seconds, the entire store filled up. So (laughs) I had the ultimate test because I had been there already. I could have already had this dealt with, but I was trying to be considerate of the person behind me. Wow. And here I was now behind about literally 10 people. So I had a little chuckle to myself because I was like, this is so funny. Like, it's almost comical how quickly this little post office filled up. Like, it's Mm. on purpose a lesson for me. (laughs) So, I just decided to be an observer. I was observing the people in the line, all different ages of people, observing the people trying to mail something and the clerk behind the desk who was also trying to train someone. And I just had like, I literally was in line for half an hour. I had a half an hour session of people watching and I enjoyed it. I didn't buy into the stress and I just enjoyed it. This is a one-off type thing, right? You know, it doesn't always work out that way. But I made a conscious decision to be an observer that seemed to help me this time.
1: Okay, that's awesome. I know you're a big believer in you get what you need at the moment. If you're intent on growing and you're intent on your life progressing and that you really want to be at the right place at the right time with the right people, then you're Mm going to get what you need when you need it. So talk a little bit about that, how that shows up in your life and how you catch yourself How do you do that if you experience something that is, like in this case, it could cause you impatience and you go like, no, no, there's a reason, there's a lesson here. How did you Mm -hmm. teach yourself to do that, to step back a second instead of having that immediate reaction and say, wait a second, what's the lesson here for me? Something's going on. So if you could talk a little bit about your philosophy about that, and then how did you make that adjustment in your life to practice that on an increasingly regular basis?
0: I'm going to say five or six years ago, I was very definitely self-absorbed, I would call myself, in the sense that I saw everything that happened as an affront to me. Like if I was cut off in traffic, mm. if a friend said something that wasn't sensitive to me or whatever, I, everything was personal. Everything was an, a personal attack. And so the way I found myself living was always mad. I okay. was either always mad or I was mm. always hurt. And it wasn't until I decided to sort of pursue a self-development or personal development route that I was even aware that I was doing that, that I was even aware that I had turned everything into something about me. And it's interesting because even with more self-awareness and personal development, I would say it's still all about me, but it's all about me in a different way. Like Mm. I feel great when I help people. Mm -hmm. It's still no matter what we do. It's still all about us because we are the only one living in this body, thinking these thoughts and feeling these feelings. So ultimately, even if I'm able to pause in the middle of stress right now, because I read Michael Singer and he said, if you don't feel okay inside, it's because you're trying to make the whole world live according to your preferences. Hmm. But that triggered me, which it did. I was like, "Wow, wow, that's so true. I'm trying to make sure that I'm in the most beautiful hotel room. So I feel comfortable when I travel. I'm always trying to make sure that when I have guests over, the house is perfect and my food is delicious and everybody feels welcome because that's a reflection of who I am as a person. So all of that is just me trying to control outcomes. Mm. And the more I try to control the outcomes, the less in control I feel because the outcomes are at the mercy of so many extenuating factors, as we all mm-hmm. know. Right. Right. So I guess it, it just comes from the releasing of outcomes, which I have found through experimenting in the last five or six years always leads to something great. Always, not immediately, but always in the end. It's like, wow, I'm no longer attached to outcomes. And because I'm no longer attached to outcomes, I am free in this moment to say, okay, I'm going to be an observer. I'm going to see what's happening. What is this here to teach me?
1: That's extremely powerful because look at how it changes your outlook on life because Mm -hmm. instead of living frustrated and uptight all the time, you're rolling with things and you yeah, end up being a far richer person as a result because you've had so many experiences that you might have with all of your strength avoided and you find yourself right in the middle of them and being open to accept the lesson of whatever's there.
0: Yeah. And people like you better. They feel more comfortable in your presence because like me, a, such an uptight person, so many rules, type A personality, like easily mm-hmm. offended. That's uncomfortable for people to be around. Yeah. But when you decide to let all that go, all of a sudden people are like, yeah, I kind of like being around you. I don't feel like there's (laughs) expectations. I don't feel like I'm going to fail you any second.
1: Well, that kind of leads to a a really relative point of view that we talked about when you came to one of my classes in university and they were talking about because you asked the question, how do you feel if the person who's leading you or the person that you're looking up to Mm. is perfect? And what difference does it make if you see that they're vulnerable and they make mistakes? Mm -hmm. And this very thing that you're talking about, the the person who's up there and and everybody's looking up to and thinks that they don't make any mistakes or they don't do anything wrong puts a huge burden on everybody else. And like one of the students said, yeah, well, you're up there and your life is great, but I'm hurting down here. And so I don't feel like you're touching me in any way. Whereas when even as a leader, even as the person responsible or whatever, if you're vulnerable and you're saying, hey, I'm just another human being, I can't do everything perfectly, but I'm a human being like you. What did one student say it just like lifts this huge burden off your shoulders, yeah. you know, it, it, which is really eye-opening for me because in my work as a psychologist, our training tells us that we need to be that person that people can rely on to not always, but most of the time be right. And Mm -hmm. and, uh, that puts a lot of pressure on my shoulders. You have to have the right answers for clients. Mm -hmm. And I've found in the last few years, I just started shedding that. I was asking myself, why, when I'm going to work with clients, why do I feel like I don't really want to go? I feel like this is a big burden. I realized that one of the reasons that I was feeling like that is because I was feeling responsible to deliver to them what they needed and wanted from me. And and that's not my responsibility at all. No. My responsibility, no. if anything, I'm an outside observer and I talk about what I see and what I observe about their situation could give them some insight, but I'm not responsible to take the burden on and carry it for them and make sure that they cross the finish line. That's totally up to them.
0: Yeah. A thousand percent. Well, like you and I have talked about your gift, honestly, is teaching people to lead themselves. Mm. You create a space. To bring some clarity or give them a safe place to land to talk it through but as you know this is your area of expertise you know that people have within them their own answers yeah and sometimes they need somebody who can lead them to the water Mm. and then say happy journeys from here on in you teach them to lead themselves and Mm. that's actually what they want
1: yes right that's
0: actually what they want
1: yeah it's true
0: we all want to feel empowered I mean, sure, people have their mentors or sometimes their idols or people, they think, oh my gosh, if I could just be like them. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, to be like them, you have to lead yourself there. That person can't hold your hand and take you the whole way there and keep you there. It has to be you, right? So if you have enough tools and you have somebody who cares enough to say, okay, look, I know you're stuck right now. And that's Mm -hmm. where you come in, right, dad? They're stuck. And Mm -hmm. you say, it's okay. There's hope. Here's Mm -hmm. some things to kind of get you started. And before you know it, they're empowered. To watch
1: someone go from hopelessness to hopeful, full of joy or expectation or excitement, that goes back to what you were saying before, that you do things because they're going to make you feel good too. If other people benefit at the same time, that's a bonus. But you're right in that the underlying motivation of the things that we do is, you know, what is going to make me feel like I am doing something that is Valuable and is going to benefit somebody.
0: I think this gets lost sometimes when people say, I wish I could be happy. I wish I knew my purpose. I had a mentor when I was younger who told me this over and over again, and I did not listen. She said, When you learn how to give, when you experience giving to others, Mm. your cup is so full. Trust Mm. me, Janelle, you're Mm going to be so happy. And I was like, What? No. I don't Mm -hmm. even have enough for myself. I'm not going to like give, right? Mm -hmm. But it's so true. When you shift your focus from how do I take care of my needs to how can I help somebody else in need? Mm -hmm. And I don't mean it has to be like a homeless person or it has to be like a desperate situation. It can even just be somebody who needs a smile or the barista at your local coffee shop who needs you to be kind with Mm -hmm. your words or a server, you know, with a tip or human kindness or humor. These are ways that you give to people that are free and they Mm. fill your cup so much. Mm. They shift the focus from unhappiness and misery to gratitude and abundance. And before you know it, you're like, whoa, I don't even recognize myself anymore.
1: Mm -hmm. I'm
0: so happy.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What's up with that? (laughs) What happened? And you look at your life and you say, I don't have any more reasons to be happy than I did before, but for some reason, everything looks different, right? (laughs)
0: Well, you remember when we went on our trip to the Dominican, right? And we were helping those families build homes in those communities there. It's baffling to see them. They have nothing. They have Mm -hmm. nothing compared Mm. to what we have. Right. And their home, the place they sleep at night is in water. Yeah. And these are happy, happy, happy people.
1: Yeah.
0: They're connected as a community. They're laughing. Their kids are playing together in the little dirt alleyways. They're just happy people. So if you ever need a lesson in, is happiness, does it come from money? Does it come from success? No, it just comes from inside of you. It just comes from inside of you.
1: That trip made a very big impression on me. I've seen that in my travels in Africa. I've seen that kind of thing too, where people have nothing and they're full of joy. I think joy, even for me, more than happiness, because happiness is like an emotion. Whereas joy, although it is an emotion, it comes from a deeper place. If if you have joy, it's like it wells up from within you. And when that happens, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. That doesn't affect the joy because mm-hmm. the joy is not dependent on anything external. It's dependent completely on what's internal.
0: Yeah, that's a great way of thinking about it. And you're right. Happiness does have kind of a fleeting vibe mm. because one moment you can be happy and the next moment unhappy. But joy is definitely the wellspring from inside.
1: And actually what you're talking about, one moment happy the next moment, not, that really ties in with one of the beliefs of the ego that I'm separate from everything I want. We see this in our society, it's an epidemic proportions where we see that people want, 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 and they're miserable until they get. And then as soon as they get what they wanted, they're wanting something else.
0: Exactly. And, and that,
1: so we never stopped wanting in mm-hmm. our society, we never stop wanting. And some of the th- things that we observed, like in the Dominican, they were receiving something they never expected, and they had everything they wanted. They were happy with their lives, and now they got something unexpected that would enhance their lives, but it wasn't necessary for that; They didn't need it to enhance their joy.
0: Yeah, I think the key is probably finding your joy, no matter what your circumstance. Right. And that's tough. Like It's even tough to say because... I feel honestly like a very privileged person. I've hardly had any heartache or any hardship in my life. So it's easy for me to say, find joy in whatever your situation is. But at the same time, I think it just holds water. There are people who have had horrendous things happen to them. They've been attacked and they forgive their attacker or they've lost loved ones and they've found the joy and the way of helping those loved ones live on in a act of service or whatever they choose. So there are ways to turn hardship and struggle into a celebration of what it means to be a human being, to be Mm -hmm. present here on this earth.
1: This concept of human being as opposed to human doing, as I said to you at the beginning of the podcast here, it's definitely something that I am uh, learning more about all the time. And my understanding of it has really deepened in the last year. And that's making for some very significant changes in my life. It's definitely opening the door to more richness. I think that's the only way I can describe it. I always kept myself under the gun to have to produce. And now I can say I'm doing what I love doing, but I'm not forcing myself to produce. I'm letting it flow or Mm -hmm. I'm learning to let it flow. And mm-hmm. that's that's a really different way of feeling and responding to this call of, you need to make your life count. Like I said, that's the way I was raised. You need to make your life count. And the way to make your life count is by being productive. And productive means showing up with things that people can see and that you can see and hold and touch.
0: And maybe even, dare I say, allowing a little indulgence in your life, <laughs> which I know you had you had some like (laughs) indulgence. No, (laughs) but to you, indulgence is reading a book, you know, like that's what you think is indulgence. So for most of us, reading a book is just, I would assume for most of us, reading a book is just nothing. That's just a little something that I do that's, I guess, maybe self-care or I do it before I go to bed at night. But for you, it's like, what, carve out time to read a book? (laughs) You love reading, but, you know, do you have the time to read? Not very often. Yeah, that's right. So I think indulgence is important too as you move away from productivity. Mm. I'm not saying you have to go to a spa or anything. You know, you don't have to do (laughs) that kind of indulgence if you don't want to, but whatever it means to you, yeah.
1: (laughs) I can indulge in whatever ways I feel like are indulgent. Exactly,
0: (laughs) yeah. Ron Thiessen is the change evolutionist and a practicing psychologist and educator. To apply as a guest on the podcast, please visit thechangeevolutionist.com forward slash podcast guest.